0: I said we're going to have a good day, hey.
1: Welcome to
2: Rise with
1: Emily and Audra.
2: I'm Dr. Emily McRae. And I am Dr. Audra Rankin. We are educators, healthcare providers, and mothers who view the world as an unlimited learning opportunity. Rise is a podcast that highlights
1: how we learn from the experiences and stories of others to create new perspectives
2: that improve our own work. Listen with us, think with us, learn with us. And along the way, be inspired to rise up above your day-to-day.
0: All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times. In the mornings, we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times. In the mornings, we will rise. Okay, shouldn't come as a surprise. Because every morning, we will rise. Hmm.
1: Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. I'm thrilled to introduce my longtime friend, Victoria Russell. Victoria, I know firsthand that you're an incredible leader, and I know what a beautiful person that you are, inside and out, really. And I'm so excited that you're on the podcast with us today. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Audra, you may not know that Victoria was the class president of our high school class and also homecoming queen. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I just thought I'd share that tidbit with you. Victoria has gone on to have an extremely successful career working with companies such as Lexmark, Humana, Brown Foreman, and she's been recognized as a woman making a difference, and as a member of the Louisville's Top 40 Under 40, which is impressive. Victoria, this does not even scratch the surface of the accolades that you have received across and throughout your career, So, but I'm actually hoping that you can share a little bit about yourself with all of our listeners as well. Absolutely. So maybe where did you grow up and (laughs) your educational background and what set you on a path of leadership, which you have clearly excelled in. Yeah.
3: First and foremost, actually, thank you both for letting me be here today. I really give a lot of kudos back to my mom who passed away in 2018 for kind of how I became the woman I am today. So I just really want to honor her in that. So I'm born and raised right here in Louisville, Kentucky, lived here my whole life, left for a little while when I went to the University of Kentucky, so just down the road in Lexington, that's kind of been my educational path. Obviously, went to Ballard High School right with you. But I think, you know, my parents instilled in me and my identical twin sister, Jacqueline Russell, or Jackie and Vicki is for known, and my older sister as well, who also went to Ballard, Adrian. But really early, just this dedication to education as my mom was, you know, a school teacher at Bear Traditional Middle School, where I actually had her for my seventh grade science teacher. But that was just kind of putting us really early, right? That education was key. And then being really connected in school, right? So whether it's joining all kinds of organizations, both of us were in the marching band. You know, I remember at a young age, my mom, it wasn't if we were going to play a musical instrument, it was which one. So we got to choose, but we definitely had to play or pick up an instrument. And so all of that was really you know, important to her to kind of help round us out. We went to a lot of summer enrichment programs. I was in summer school every summer. You know, I think it was partly selfish for my mom. As a school teacher, she wanted her summers to herself. And so (laughs) I think we had a choice of staying home and cleaning baseboards, or we could go to (laughs) summer enrichment programs. And so we did. But I'm glad she did that, because when I got to college, and again, having a twin sister, naturally very competitive, I actually ended up going to summer school every summer on purpose, partly because I enjoyed being away at school, being away from home. And so I would work every summer on campus as an RA in various summer programs and then working with my scholarship director and the school, right, getting scholarships for the summer. But I started taking all my hardest classes during the summer. And so I ended up being able to graduate in three years instead of four because of that. But when I was like, yeah, yeah, I can graduate, I wasn't ready to go into the world just yet. I was like, all my friends are still at school, having a good time. And so at that point, I had a Early in my years, too, always looking for a mentor, always had mentors all over the place and still do, which I think is so important. But my mentor really helped me understand, okay, hey, what's next then? I'm actually pursued getting my MBA, still at the University of Kentucky, and pursued that. So I stayed another year and a half right on campus. It was great still having that college experience, but having two degrees in a very short period of time. So that's kind of been my educational drive got out. My first job was at Lexmark. I interned in marketing. My background was in marketing, degrees are in marketing. But my next official real job was actually in HR at Humana and in compensation. So I learned a lot about analytics and data and just loved all of that work. Went on to Brown Foreman to do very similar work, but my passion was still sitting in marketing. So eventually I went to Papa John's and started my career in marketing analytics. Absolutely loved it. Did that for... I was actually at Papa John's for almost 15 years. Uh, mostly in marketing analytics, but my career really took a huge turn in 2017 when the company was going through a lot, right? With the founder. Mm-hmm. We started our initial DNI efforts. I helped lead and start our DNI committee. And then eventually moved into the role of chief of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Papa John's. And so it was a very trying time because that's the, like I said, in 2018, lost my mom to stage four ovarian cancer. My mom was a tough lady, you know, and I could always hear her in my ear pushing me, you can do this, you got this, you know, if not you, then who type of things right in my head that I could hear my mom Mm -hmm. saying. And so that motivated me to kind of stand up during that really trying time for the company and really advocate for people. And that was deep down, you know, some of my (laughs) initial passion. So was excited to step into that role terrified at the same time if I'm honest and transparent but one of my favorite quotes is if you're going to rebel it is better to rebel from inside the system than from outside the system and that's when people ask like why would you do that work there why wouldn't you basically just run why did you run into the burning building you know that's really why like who else is going to do it if, if we don't you know step up and do the right thing and so that's kind of what set me on my path. And then now I'm at Beam Centauri, joined back in January of 2021. Absolutely love it. You know, first diversity officer here as well. And so really getting to chart the path and the course of this work for this organization and really excited to do so.
2: Victoria, thank you so much for just sharing a little bit about your background. And although Emily has sung your praises for you know so long, it's <laughs> amazing to hear what inspires you and what all you've done. I want to dig a little bit deeper into your diversity and inclusion work and try to wrap my head around just how you approached changing the culture of an organization that had over 100,000 team members. And I wouldn't even know where to begin. And (laughs) on top of that, you also, you know, worked to collaborate with the community and change the culture of the organization with the community at large. And can you tell us just a little bit about these initiatives that led to your success?
3: Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I didn't do it alone, right? I have to give praise where it's due. So I had so many allies and mentors, as I said, was really important right through my education, but in my careers at, at former companies. And so being able to go tap Brown Foreman, Humana, their DNI leaders, Ralph Deshaver and Marie Hughes at the time were incredible mentors for me on that journey. Very encouraging. Here's some best practices. Here's what to do, what not to do. And they both would say, if you ever get the opportunity and they ask you to do this work, your answer is yes. I was like, no, I can't do it. I don't have enough experience. And they were like, your answer is yes. And there were so many people willing to help support. And also through the early years of my career, being out in the community, involved in the community, I knew a lot of people to go to and, and ask for help. And It was humbling to go and say, hey, we're in this crisis, can you help us? But I had done enough to build solid relationships that people trusted and were willing to help, which was really important. And I think the only authentic way to do that is first kind of being involved in the community, showing up in the community, right? Whether that's serving on boards, being involved in organizations, volunteering. But when people kind of know who you are, I think that was really helpful. So leaders like Sadiqa Reynolds at the Urban League and and others in the community were huge advocates in that journey of the work at Papa John. So, you know, again, I, I have to say, right, I didn't do it alone and I had, I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. That was something my mother taught me at an early age as well. And how to ask for help. My mom used to say, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know where to go find it, right? And who to ask. And so I'm thankful to have had so many people in what I call my network or village really to help kind of call upon to do that. So, you know, a lot of the work we started, obviously, in the awareness building, cultural sensitivity space, the DNI trainings, I think that was a huge foundation to getting that work started, understanding the impact of supplier diversity, and the economic impact that has in the communities and making sure that's a part of it, and understanding your civic responsibility back to the community. I think historically, the organization at that time didn't have a great reputation in that space and hadn't done a lot with all communities in that space. So I think the organization did a lot in the community, just not particularly with diverse communities. And so trying to rebuild people's perception of us, the company, the brand, and a lot of the efforts that we did that really helped to positively move into the right direction was through our employees. So getting our employee resource groups started, getting them out in the community, various communities, whether it's the Black community, Hispanic, LGBTQ, disabilities, all of that was really key. And I think it showed the community our commitment and sincerity by hearing and seeing our own people leading and showing up in that space. So it definitely is a collective effort that took all of us to do. And then just reiterating, as you said earlier, you know, the organization is not one person. It was made up of 120,000 team members around the globe that were feeling the impact of what was happening and helping to share their individual stories. Um, We had a campaign at one point that went through, you know, Papa fill in the blank of our various franchisees, our team members. It was so many other people behind the brand. It, it was the Faces Papa John's kind of campaign that I think really helped accelerate that work and bring visibility to it.
2: Well, and I, I think it's so wonderful that it sounds like you you celebrated your employees and the diversity of the organization. And by showcasing that diversity and uniqueness, that ultimately drew in a lot of the community members. I think that's just wonderful. So. Thank you.
1: And you, sounds like, were a huge role model to all of them as well. So I think it sounds like it was a natural step for them to jump in because they saw absolutely. you doing all of those things as well, which is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. We can learn so much from your ability to connect large organizations to the communities. And I'm just curious how you go about making these strategic partnerships within the community and what informs you, I guess, to connect with communities all over the world. You are making (laughs) these big companies pull in communities really everywhere. And I think it's so impressive. So just didn't know if you could elaborate on that a little bit.
3: Sure. You know, I think a lot of it kind of stems from your own personal involvement. So through that time at Papa John's, I was actually able to step up on several nonprofit boards in the city and chasing kind of my own personal passions as well. So, you know, one being the Chestnut Street YMCA board, I was actually a member or a participant in the Black Achievers program there from eighth grade to 12th grade. And so being able to give back and seeing other kids that look like me have that opportunity was is very personal. I joined the Fund for the Arts Board, Leadership Global Board, GLI Board. And so having those connections, those personal connections definitely helps allow you to bring your organization into those spaces in an authentic way versus, you know, one thing I learned in that journey at Papa John's, there were times that, you know, we wanted to support something or or sponsor something. And there were days that people, quite frankly, said, no, we don't even want your money attached, right? Because they felt like it could be damaging to that community organization. And so being able to do what I call authentic community deposits, and that doesn't mean just financial, but Mm -hmm. showing up, giving of your time, talent, and treasure really helped, I think, create that bridge that, hey, we really did want to do the right thing, asking people for the opportunity to give us grace and do the right thing. And then not just leveraging my own personal connections into community organizations, we had tons of team members and employees and leaders in the organization that were a part of community activities, community organizations. And so being able to leverage all of that for the greater good of the company is definitely an easy way to do that. And it's an authentic way to do that. I think Mm -hmm. that's so important that it's not that you show up just in a time of crisis, you know, because that could feel like a very opportunistic way to come into Mm -hmm. the community. So I think it's making sure not only that you do it early on, but make sure you're consistent, the work is sustainable, that people believe and the authenticity of the work that you're doing, that there's no other motive kind of attached and that you're really doing the right thing because it's just the right thing to do. And so I encourage a lot of companies, organizations, making sure that you do that, authentically building those relationships and then continuing to nurture
2: them, obviously over time is, is really key.
1: I think that's amazing.
2: (laughs) I do too. I wrote down authentic community deposits. (laughs) 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 I I know, I do
3: too. At some point you run into a a case, I think of it almost as like a bank account, right? You're making these deposits and sometimes we make missteps and you might need to make a withdrawal, you know? But if there's Mm -hmm. nothing in the bank, there's nothing to withdraw, right? There's Mm -hmm. no extending grace because these organizations don't know you. They've never seen you before. They don't really know who you are, what you're about. And they're just left to- their assumptions. And we know today, you know, cancel culture is very real. And so the, the organizations that I think survive missteps that are going to happen, right. Cause they're run by people and people, you know, are flawed. They allow a little grace when they are like, you know what, we've seen you show up here. We've seen you do this work. We've seen you partner in the past when you didn't need to, you know, and so when you make the misstep, they'll support you and stand beside you and help you correct your course and fix things. So I think that's, that's really important.
2: Victoria, I'm just so drawn to your own authenticity and leadership style. And it's just so clear that you lead with warmth and a genuine appreciation of the people that you work with and the community that you live in. And I want to tap into that a little bit more and ask you just how you approach your own leadership development. So Emily and I really like to think about how we can develop ourselves as leaders and educators. And we think about how we can show our students, you know, how they can continue to be lifelong learners. But what have you done over the course of your career to develop this incredible leadership style? And do you seek out opportunities or do you just kind of feel like they organically come to you?
3: No, I think it's both, right? You've got to seek them out. And, and then the more you seek them out, some do just come to you. So I think for me, you know, as I said, I've always been one that kind of sought out mentors throughout my life and a variety of mentors. It's never just been one person. I've never seen one person and said, I want to be just like them. Think of that almost like in the form of a buffet. You know, I want a little bit of everything to kind of shape who I want to be and then allow that to constantly evolve over time. I don't think you ever get to a point, you're exactly who you want to be at any given point. You want to continue to be on that journey. And so for me, it's seeking those mentors, building those relationships, a variety of mentors, like I said. So it's not all women. It's not all men. It's not all people who look like me and different ages. I think you can learn from so many people and their experience and not assuming they're all you know more senior or older than you, right? I can learn from people from all over the place. And so making sure you're always doing that. I am fortunate to have had some amazing bosses in my past that I'm still friends with today. So one, Robert Thompson, who was at Papa John's, he still is actually at Papa John's was an incredible mentor. You know, he was honest with me. He knew I could be stronger and be better. And so he was tough on me at times. And, you know, I really appreciate that. I look at my mom, right. She did the same thing. She wasn't, it wasn't always easy. Right. But I I look back at who I've become and I'm so thankful that people wanted to invest that in me, that time in, in me. And I think it's really important that we understand, okay, how do you pay that forward? Do you assume it's also your responsibility to do the same for others? So I, I try to do both, right? I'm still learning and growing, seeking more development opportunities, but also trying to give back at the same time. I also pushed for, when I was at Papa John's, you know, some coaching for all of our senior leaders. And that's something we all were able to go through at one point, actually over time, as I start to kind of understand, gone as far as I could maybe with the coach I had, what else did I need to learn and grow in? And so I actually now have a new coach that I moved into when I was at Papa John's still with today that has been instrumental, I think, in my career because her background experiences, there's a lot more that she has experience with that I am going through now or have gone through recently that was really helpful. So I think always seeking, you know, that mentorship. So i have a structured coach but also have other mentors right that I think have been really helpful in that journey and I always want to continue to evolve grow you know who do I want to be one thing I love to highlight is you know for my personal journey it's not about getting the next job the best career because the experience I got with my mom and going through you know that period of time with her the greatest lesson I got when she passed at the funeral my 29 older sister remember All the kind words people said, but no one talked about the car she drove, the house she lived in, how much money she made. You know, it was the impact she made on their life. And to get that lesson so young at 37 was like, oh my goodness. You know, so for me and my spirituality, you know, I'm trying to get into heaven, but that's my end game. And what are the things I can do that leverage or ladder me up for that, right? So it's so much bigger than where I work and what I do. I love though that I'm now in a career path that aligns to that, right? So it's very fulfilling. It's time consuming, can be exhausting at times. Uh self-care and all that is so important in that journey, but mm-hmm. but for me it's being called to a higher purpose that continues to drive me and push
1: me along that path.
2: I think that's such a incredible perspective and so refreshing. Emily and I talk about this all the time and in, in healthcare we're so often introduced and defined by where we went to school or where we're working and It's easy to forget that what really matters is the impact that you have on others. And I I love that that's at the forefront of your... Leadership style and, and how you just live your life. Also, Emily, I don't know if you felt like this when she answered that question, but Emily and I are about to rappel down an 18-story um, building tomorrow to raise money for Gilda's Club oh Cancer <laughs> Support Group, and I feel like you were giving us a pep talk because we yes, yes. were so nervous about it. And I was like, oh yeah,
1: I needed to hear this. Right we, we got we got an email today saying that it was okay if we needed to back out if we couldn't do it. I was thinking. So, you can
2: do yeah, it. You yeah, no, it. you you really just helped me get through the next 24 hours. Awesome.
1: <laughs> Victoria, I'm inspired by your investment in your own personal development and leadership. And also, I've heard you say multiple times, you know, talk about your team and building your team and you're clearly, you know, learning from mentors and then turning that around and investing in your team. And I just, I think you're incredible. I'm curious, Audra and I talk to students all the time about the importance of reaching out and doing some networking and collaborating with other people in the profession. And from what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like that's very important, but I didn't know if you could elaborate on that a little bit. I'll be honest, I follow you on social media and I'm often very jealous of the pictures. (laughs) I see, I'm like... I need to be on your team.
2: <laughs> but
1: I was just hoping you could elaborate a little bit about the importance of networking for you and collaborating. When I think about the
3: DNI space in particular, it can be a very lonely space inside your organization. And so being able to build the external networks to help one, sometimes quite frankly, a place to commiserate when times are tough and days are hard, helping you strategize when maybe you're trying something and doesn't feel like it's working to be able to go to another thought partner and think through another way to do it what's what are some best practices what are some of the landmines to avoid that you know if you're new in the role and you don't know that you can avoid the benefit of someone else's experience mm-hmm. and so i think having those networks particularly in this space is really important and it's a shared space that a lot of people really understand what you're going through and particularly now with more and more people getting into the dni space i think is really helpful because sometimes Folks come in with really rose-colored glasses. I'm going to change the world. And that's great, but there's a lot that you may or may not understand about how to go about doing that, how to make sure you're protecting yourself and your energy. And as they say, put your own oxygen mask on first, right? How to rejuvenate in that space, I think is so important. So that network is really key. And it's also an opportunity as you've benefited from that networking to give back into that network as well, right? So to help others. Um, When they're running into some of the same obstacles you may have experienced and and share the benefit of your knowledge. So I think that's really important. It's not always the easiest space to get to if if it's not your personality type. But I think with what we've gone through with the pandemic and having all these virtual options allows you actually to network into much bigger groups, much more national or international groups and and benefit from so many people and do so much in one day because you're not driving around. You know, so I think there's actually been an even greater opportunity to do more of that now. But I think it's sometimes just taking that first step, first organization. You know, for me, I remember when I joined the first board, which is the YMCA board, it was a great kind of, I just say almost the training wheels opportunity and a space I was familiar with and comfortable in to learn, you know, how to navigate and what to do. And then as I've started joining other boards, it made it easier and easier to do that. So I think. first step's the hardest but finding a comfortable space that you're passionate in makes it a lot easier to do and then making sure you're also like i said giving back into those spaces that you're not just pulling from
2: you have mentioned a little bit about the international network of colleagues that you have had in your career and i would imagine that you've had to go on a lot of international trips maybe pre-pandemic but you've been to a lot of very interesting places can you tell us Maybe about one really inspiring trip that you can remember, maybe it's personally or because of work.
3: You know, actually I have one that's more personal. So one other little known fact about me, I'm also a Zumba instructor and have been for many years. And so one thing I loved about Zumba, it brings together people from literally all over the world and our common language was dance. So in Zumba, you're dancing to the music. There's no microphone or talking over the music or instruction given. You're just feeling the music with people from everywhere. As I started traveling with Zumba, so I had an opportunity to go to Egypt with Zumba on a cruise down the Nile and dancing wow. with people from all over the world. Or we've done other you know, Zumba cruises where the diversity of the Zumba passengers even outweighed that of the crew. Typically on cruise ships, right? It's the crew that's most diverse. But being around people from all over the world really broadens your perspective Mm -hmm. of the world, particularly Mm -hmm. as an American. And you start to see the things that why people may think of us the way they do, or do we tend to have, you know, thinking the world revolves around us? Does everyone have to speak English? Am I trying to get outside of my box? And so I think having your horizons broadened, quite frankly, with international travel is so important. Because it gives you a broader view of the world, how big the world is, and how often you know, really how small we are in it, the impact you can make. So at the same time, while the world is enormous, there's a lot of commonality when you start meeting people from all over the world, the struggles we go through, the things we worry about, what keeps us up at night. And so while it's huge and gives you that broader perspective, it also pl- makes you feel like, you know what, I am connected into something greater than myself and have commonality with people that I don't even speak the same language of. And so I think that perspective has really helped me in my career and understanding people and connecting with people and really having empathy for people. Another quote I love, it was Brian Stevenson with the Equal Justice Initiative, who said, you can't have empathy for what you don't have proximity to. And so having that lack of proximity to difference, or actually having proximity to, to difference, you know, mm-hmm. really helps you build your empathy muscle to have compassion for others, to be able to put yourself in their shoes. And make you a better leader overall, because you, you know, you have that empathy for each other. And I think that's so important for leaders today, particularly now with what we've gone through with the pandemic, with the social justice movement, like having you know that lens of wow, I feel for others, and particularly with the recent rise in violence in the country and the hate crimes and shootings and feeling for people. You know, recently kind of connecting this back at work with the Buffalo shooting, it reminded me of the shooting that happened here in Kentucky in 2018 and taking the, you know, the life of two of our citizens that were just at Kroger, right? Just yeah. shopping. And the fear you have of, am I safe? Am I a target just because of what I look like and having compassion for people? And so we took a moment this week at work just to understand how people are impacted, what's going on in their head and their life that may not show up in their day-to-day work and not expecting that people come in and are robotic almost and just get the work done they're dealing with a lot. Whether it's the recent shootings, whether it's with the potential decision on the Roe versus Wade, people are going through a lot. And, and no matter what your position or opinion is on it, having empathy for how people feel and what they're going through, and as leaders in particular, people leaders, do you check in with your employees? Do you ask them how they're doing right before you start the meeting? Do you allow them to take mental health days? Right, we all need that with what we're going through. And so I think it just helps you stop and get outside of yourself and think about other people. And I think that's really important.
2: I love that. Last night, I was at a Stop the Bleed training, and it was all about this increase in gun violence and how as citizens, we can be more prepared and feel like we're doing something to Mm -hmm. potentially save a life. And what was so interesting is that this group of community members wanted to feel like they were doing something in a situation where so often we feel so helpless, but then there are other community members who just don't know how to deal with it and are still feeling the same way and feeling overwhelmed, but aren't necessarily going to spring into action. And so I think as you were talking one of the things that came to mind is being empathetic about the differences in people's experiences of the same event, I think is so important as a leader. And it sounds like that's something that you're doing as well. It's, you know, just acknowledging where everybody is coming from and what those feelings Mm -hmm. are and how they might be different. So I think that's incredible. And even allowing them the space, they may not even know what they're feeling or how, so it
1: sounds like just taking the time and giving them the space to express themselves and investing in them just, again, goes back to your authentic leadership. I think that that's imperative because people just have a lot of stress.
3: They do. They do. And getting yeah. grace and space and support mm-hmm. can make a world of difference for somebody, you know? Absolutely.
2: I'm equally as impressed by your Zumba dancing. And <laughs> yes, even though we went deep, right? <laughs> I think both are important.
1: I know. Yes. I think we, Audra and I need to sign up and join you. Um, I have one more fun question. So you've mentioned your twin sister. I'm always intrigued by twins. And I know both of you (laughs) and you're both (laughs) incredibly successful and your older sister as well, but as far as having a twin, do you find in your careers that you just bounce ideas off of each other? Or do you find that one of you has strengths here and the other here and you just compliment one another? I'm just always so intrigued by twins. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know, actually it's both. So we're, you know, both obviously incredibly competitive. So while I graduated <laughs> three years, Jackie could not be left behind. So she actually graduated three and a half, right? So she <laughs> got motivated. was like, wait a minute, you're not going to beat me. So okay. that's always the case. <laughs> it's kind of fun. But in our careers, what's been fun, so Jackie, or Jacqueline is her, She's like as an adult. We've gone to our adult versions of our days. Jacqueline works at Virgin Pulse and has led, she's in sales, has been very successful in her role, but has actually helped spearhead and start their employee research groups. And so, huge passion of hers. But yes, absolutely comes to me with like, hey, what should we do here? What do you think about this? Even when they were thinking about bringing on a DNI leader, which they eventually did to help lead the work, Jacqueline was very involved in that as well. And so we brainstormed quite a bit. Sometimes shamelessly stealing you know, from each other. So like we call our research groups at Beam Suntory employee impact groups. Okay. So that's actually a term that they coined as well. Some of the names they've used. And I think in the DNI space, you know, we love kind of sharing and there's mm-hmm. no like territory that you can't borrow, right? Great ideas, right? Because really at the end of the day, we're all in this together for the greater good of all people. That has been something we've done. We've even had You know, I've sat on a panel that she moderated for her organization, and then Jacqueline actually invited her in to moderate a panel we did for the James C. Beam Institute here in Kentucky, and she was my surprise guest, so no one knew that she was actually going to be on the panel. (laughs) We did a little bit of playing with folks as twins have to do, of of switching seats in the middle of the panel of, oh, wait a minute, I'm Victoria. Wait, are you Jack? You know, and then changing seats. It was just a ton of fun that we're able to have in the space, and it's fun to share that space, right, with your with your family you know and my older sister as well has been kind of leading the charge on a lot of the dni work at her organization and advocating for real change and they've also brought in a dni leader that she helps support so you know i think taking that personal passion and being able to feel good about the impact you're having at the end of the day our mother would be or is so proud and we continue to try to honor her name you know in that space my twin and I even went as far to establish a memorial scholarship in my mother's name that we give out every year at the Chestnut Street YMCA banquet and have done an, another one recently for Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, which we're both members of, just to continue one so that my mother's name continues to live on and that legacy. And it gives us kind of this piece to stay connected to her and continue to honor her. So it's just something you know, all of us in the family love to do, very passionate about And it's exciting to continue to be a part of.
1: Oh my goodness, Victoria, you are just so inspiring in all (laughs) in all avenues. And I mean, you really have—you know, we're talking about networking. You really have your own personal networking group right there. And I think that that you absolutely (laughs) should utilize that. This has been. Incredible. I know Audra uh, feels the same. And we just are so appreciative of your time today being on the podcast. We always end every one of our podcasts with three rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> so thing that comes to mind. And I was going to ask you the first one. You've actually given us a few quotes that I've already scribbled down over here. So I don't know if you have another one, but we always ask, what is your favorite leadership quote or book? So I
3: love quotes and my favorite quote changes sometimes given what's going on in the world. I think that, you know, if you're going to rebel it's better to rebel from inside the system than from outside is one of my favorites right now, because there's so much in the world that we do have the ability to impact even in our Mm -hmm. own small way. I think a lot of times people say, well, I'm not senior enough. I'm not big enough. I don't have, you know, but everyone has the ability to impact something or someone. So even if you're just having conversations with your friends and family about what's going on in the world and helping to shape how they see things or helping them become more empathetic or building their proximity to, mm-hmm. you know, difference and others. I think we all can have that impact. It's the Maya Angela quote too, And I've kind of said this about my mom, you know, it's not what you do and all those things. It's how you make people feel. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, the impact you can make is, do you care about one another and how you make them feel? I think is so, so key. So that, you know, I would really probably wrap it up with my Angela's quote. Because I think at the end of the day, that's been my guiding star. and learned that through my experience with my mother.
2: That is a a really awesome guiding star. So our next question is related to healthcare. As you know, we are both nurses and our students are are nurses and healthcare providers. So we want to know one wish that you may have related to healthcare. So that may be something that, you would like to see happen in healthcare or a cure or change? It could be a variety of different things.
3: You know, I'd say equitable access to healthcare for all is what I would love to see. I've seen a lot of organizations, particularly Norton, I've seen making a lot of movement and strides in this space. The Urban League has always kept that top of mind even as one of their pillars around access to healthcare. Honestly, I think this decision with Roe v. Wade really highlights that as well as organizations think about not their position on it, but rather do we ensure that everyone has equitable access to healthcare, no matter what that is for them to determine and how we support and take care of our people at the end of the day. So I think I'd love to continue to see strides in that space and not to go backwards, but to ensure that everyone has access. I think making sure that there are still those with money and privilege that will always have whatever access they need. And we don't ever think about, you know, the more marginalized communities that as certain laws or restrictions come into place, what that does that can put them in dangerous positions that will still seek the medical resources that they need. So I think that keeping that top of mind and ensuring that everyone has the same access should be a fundamental right for everybody and what role we can play to help ensure that that happens and support the organizations that are are fighting to make that happen.
1: I love that, and then I think that we have one more question. So, Audra and I believe in lifelong learning, and you clearly do as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you could learn something new, what would it be?
3: Yeah, you know, I would say honestly, learning a couple of new languages. So, I know an, a little bit of Spanish, you know, enough to be dangerous, uh-huh. uh, particularly in the Zumba space. I love <laughs> to travel to Caribbean places, and so I think broadening my language skills, I would put. First and foremost to make it a little bit easier to navigate, to show that I, you know, I, I care and have empathy for understanding the cultures I, I love being in and experiencing. So I would absolutely want to become far more fluent, I think, in Spanish first, and then possibly Japanese. So, you know, Beam Ooh. Centauri, our parent mm-hmm. company is Centauri, Japanese owned. So, you know, being able to show empathy for how difficult sometimes it is for folks to learn English and that expectation that everyone should know and. The effort others put into learning our language—that you know, maybe we return the favor and and try to understand what that journey is like and how difficult mm-hmm. it is—and gives you a layer of empathy when people are trying to speak English that we do the same in, in return. So I think learning Spanish first, learning Japanese second would be the two new skills I'd love to acquire.
1: That's great. And then Audra is working on her French. So when yes. come to your Zumba
2: awesome. class. <laughs> 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 I still, I've been talking about my French lessons for over a year now, and I'm still in the same level. I just can't seem to get past it. My pronunciation's really
1: it's hard.
2: It's, it's hard. It, it gives, so you,
1: hard.
2: It's it gives you a little empathy
3: for when others are, are learning English, and we think it should be so easy. We've got so much phrases we use, terms we use that are not like standard English, and so it gives you a little empathy for it. So Absolutely. I think that's good.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. And we learned so much from you. And I wrote down so many of your quotes and terms and just all these things. I was soaking it all in. So I loved it. Thank you very much.
3: Thanks for having me today. I've enjoyed it.
1: Audra, I had such a great time talking with Victoria. I was so impressed with Victoria's authenticity. It shines through in all that she does, and it has clearly contributed to her growth and success. We spend so much time talking about different leadership styles, and we both love to talk about authentic leadership, leaders who are genuine and real. Victoria, in my opinion, truly embodies that, and it was such a pleasure to see that type of leadership in action.
2: We do love that type of leadership, authentic leadership, and Victoria was certainly more polished in her delivery of authentic leadership. I couldn't help but think about how you and I have become more authentic in our time together over the past decade, but maybe not as polished. We tend to talk about feeling like Uber drivers to our kids or the struggles with eating vegetables, or most recently, how hard fourth grade math homework is.
1: Why isn't math taught the way we learned it? (laughs) I don't know. It's so hard. It's so hard. Speaking of parenting, Victoria talked about the impact her mother had on her life and the valuable lessons she learned as she was celebrating her mom's life. As she stood and spoke to others at her mother's funeral, she realized no one cared about the car her mother drove. No one spoke about what her mother did for a living. The material things didn't matter. Instead, they spoke about how her mother made them feel. It was a pivotal moment for Victoria and provided a lot of insight into how she feels called to serve a higher purpose. What keeps Victoria going is not how much money she's making or what title she holds, it's how she interacts with others. Audra, I mean, how powerful was that? You mentioned during the interview that in healthcare, we are often defined by where we went to school or where we work, which I feel like is so true. And it is hard to remember that the impact we make is what matters in the end. I just wanted to start with that today because it was just so energizing for me. And it was also the pep talk that I needed to get ready for our
2: repelling event. (laughs) (laughs) I loved that she brought that up as well. And it's such an important reminder, especially in the world where we live and work but can we just talk about that rappelling event for a second
1: Emily
2: sure, sure. Uh, okay so for those of y'all that missed this little nugget of information in the interview we didn't talk about it for very long but Emily and I rappelled down the side of a hotel in downtown Louisville to raise money for a cancer support organization we were joined by to dear friends and the event was so important to me because my mom was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago and uses this organization regularly so i, I just loved the experience however as we were going down the side of the building i made emily go with me <laughs> i didn't want to do it alone and i kid you not i could not be more terrified or more slow as we are repelling down this building. And I don't even know what I said to you, Emily, but I'm sure there were lots of ugly words that I did not want my kids to hear. But I digress. The point in all of this, and I'm going to get to authentic leadership, is that we make it down the building. And my daughter says, Mommy, you're more like the tortoise than the hare, which was true. I was inching down. I was so slow. And at some point during the inching, a photographer captured the most unflattering photo of me. I mean, to be fair, I feel like anyone dangling midair is not going to look very cute in a photo, but I was dangling. I was terrified. It was a bad angle. Emily, I was probably yelling at you. I don't even know. Horrible picture. And as luck would have it, due to some glitch in the photo sharing system, that photo, the really, really terrible one was the Only photo that was sent out to hundreds of participants. And I texted you, Emily, and I said, I'm sorry, is this really happening? Was this just sent out? And Emily, you said, Yes, yes, it is actually happening. (laughs) (laughs) And the moral of the story is that authenticity can be delivered in a graceful and polished way, like Victoria demonstrated or in an awkward unflattering dangling from midair on the side of the building and clutching for dear life kind of way maybe it's not that you're defined by your school or where you work but how you look when you rappel down the building (laughs) so victoria reminded me the importance of remembering impact and why you're doing what you're doing and why that shines through no matter where you are or what you're doing is so incredibly important victoria also, credited her mother for encouraging her to be involved in her community. And she used the analogy of creating authentic community deposits. And I think about this for myself, for my daughters, and as a mentor to students. You know, how do we articulate the value of serving our community? And how does that translate to healthcare delivery? As healthcare providers, service bridges care delivery in acute and primary care settings to the built environment of communities. And I believe that our service provides valuable insights into the needs of others and ultimately improves patient-centered care.
1: Audra, I think one of the first questions that I get from students is, how do you find these opportunities? Victoria mentioned that she has sought out opportunities for professional growth while others have just happened organically. Victoria's background is in marketing, but her initial job was in analytics, which may have not been her passion, but she learned a different skill set, and it added to her professional development. I
2: think that's so valuable, but you know how I feel about analytics. I appreciate it. Don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, and I give thanks for people like Victoria every single day. Same. And fast (laughs) forward, and Victoria joined Papa
1: John's, finding herself in a position to be an ideal candidate to lead diversity and inclusion initiatives within the company. One of my favorite things from the interview was that she pulled from her, air quote, buffet of mentors. How great was that term, Audra?
2: I loved it. Well, I mean, I love all buffets. Who am I kidding? But especially ones that are used to describe how to offset weaknesses with the strengths of others. I mean, isn't that one of the core components of a good leader, knowing where you excel, where you struggle, and then where to go to fill in those gaps? Audra, I particularly love breakfast buffets.
1: So (laughs) I think when we're struggling, I'm just going to say, let's go to the buffet. (laughs) Perfect, I
2: love that. Victoria once again showed us the importance of a growth mindset, of leading authentically and leaning on others. She mentioned that leading diversity and inclusion for such a large corporation was a pivotal moment in her career, and initially, she felt that she wasn't ready. And I think that's
1: okay. In healthcare, we are often faced with situations where we may be anxious about stepping up, remembering that you don't have to step up alone, and that asking for help is encouraged. Whether you're in the boardroom or executing a code, it is crucial. Victoria not only asked for support in her role, but she leaned on the community to ask for support during a period that was crucial to the company's growth. It was a win-win. She created authentic community deposits. By the way, I love that term as well. And those authentic community deposits
2: helped her corporation and the community. Isn't that the end goal, that we create partnerships that are mutually beneficial? Whether that's in direct patient care or fostering relationships with the communities we serve. Victoria gave us examples of how this was done in corporate America, but I believe it translates to the work we do every single day as healthcare providers serving our communities. And to layer on this concept, Victoria created a work environment
1: that was also mutually beneficial she mentioned how she built up her team by celebrating and highlighting the diversity of employees within the company she took the time to meet employees to celebrate them build them up and get them to
2: join her in giving back and all of that seemed to lead to small changes that eventually impacted the company culture emily we talk about how we can improve outcomes all day long And we often land on person-centered care. The idea with person-centered care is that we focus on the individual, appreciating them within the multiple different contexts in which they exist. And then we provide the patient with compassionate individualized care that meets them where they are. That's our textbook definition that we use with our students. And you know, i absolutely love to learn from others and i just love that victoria's example has nothing to do with that it has nothing to do with healthcare or delivering person-centered care my gosh it initially started with a company known for pizzas sausage pizza in this house is our favorite but her approach directly translates to how we can learn apply and move the needle in care delivery by starting with the individual audra victoria's had many roles from Papa John's to her more
1: recent role with Beam Centauri her ability to impact a community both at the regional and now global levels and then completely change the culture and face of an organization may look like it started with small changes but I actually think it really started with the big picture improving population
2: health outcomes is a daunting discussion It absolutely is. And to be quite honest, I feel successful if I just answered all of my emails on those days, let alone talking about improving population health. I could not agree more. I
1: am drowning in emails. (laughs) But (laughs) getting back to our discussion, thinking about the big picture, but starting with small actions, knowing that a conversation can ultimately build to global health collaborations, take such a daunting task and turns it into manageable actions. I like to think of my checklist (laughs) that I set for myself each day just to get through the day.
2: (laughs) Authentic leadership and the intentionality of celebrating the value of individuals as well as the collective impact we can have as an organization or community were probably some of the biggest takeaways for me from victoria's interview well i take that back i think that the buffet of mentors was maybe the biggest takeaway i wrote that one down and i've been using board of directors a lot but i love to cook and a buffet just sounds like more fun so we'll be going to the buffet Um, (laughs) i just love being reminded that it takes a village and being reminded that people who seem to have it all together have it together because they lean on others. While Victoria was not
1: setting out to impact global health and her daily job responsibilities, we can apply so much from her journey in healthcare. And as we always say, this podcast
2: is not about healthcare. It's about learning from the experiences of others to make healthcare better. Thanks for learning with us. Rise with Emily and Audra was produced with Resonate Recordings. The original song, Rise, was composed and performed by Alex Crum.
0: All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times, in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times, in the mornings we will rise. Okay. Shouldn't come as a surprise Cause every morning we will ride